All aboard and welcome to another Animation Station. We're finally rolling along with some more episodes this year. And we're starting off the year with a big old movie. We're talking about Puss in Boots Last Wish, which just squeezed in at the end of last year. So we did not have time to talk about it beforehand. Uh, I am, of course, Sparks Witty, and I'm joined by Brandon T. McClure. And Hello. we are going to be diving in on DreamWorks' latest film. And I'm super excited to do it. Brandon, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to, to, to watch this movie. Uh, to, not to watch this movie, to talk about this movie. I'm a little tired today. Um, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about what is probably my, one of, if not my favorite movie of 2022. Sure. Favorite movie? The top movie. Look, after watching it the second time, what I was, was like... Your top movie? I don't remember. What was your top movie last year? It was Glass Onion. Mm, I don't know about that. This is a really good movie. I don't know if it's. We'll see. This one hit me, and look, Glass Onion is a brilliant movie. And like, yeah. all that would happen is that Glass Onion would just become third. I wouldn't rearrange my whole list. Um, but like, man, this movie hits me right in the right in the heart place. I think it's really, really good. We'll get into let's, the why and everything. Well, let's get into it, Sparks. I'm ready. Okay. Um. I mean, obviously, I think we'll get it right out of the way. It's the thing everyone knew from the trailer was going to be good was the animation. Yes. Um, the animation is is fantastic. It's so refreshing to see. Bad guys showed it off um, that they were doing these, these changes, this adapting of 2D into 3D. Um, as we've talked about many times on and off the air, the effect of Spider-Verse to create things like Arcane um and the blend that is occurring is wonderful to see so dreamworks going in that direction is a big thing i think it's far more noticeable when it's taking the ip of something that already existed how drastically refreshing it is to see this animation because you can look at puss in boots in his own previous film or in the other shrek films and this is so stunningly better <laughs> And not just better, but I think his character model also benefits from this new animation style in a way that I didn't quite realize he needed. Because I, I rewatched the first Puss in Boots after I watched this film for the second for the first time. And I like Puss in Boots design. I always have. But this kind of photorealistic um, a, a way that they were trying to animate the Shrek franchise and just 3D animation in general was very what is a little weird come to going looking back on it that this was just they tried to be like what if a cat looked like a cat but on two legs and we're, we're all like yeah that's kind of cute but this one being able to stylize it in kind of a 2d blend really makes that character design pop i think i think a lot of what that is is this desire at the time when shrek and everything was popular right mm -hmm. that these movies were not like disney and pixar movies they were not being made for just children they wanted to grab an adult audience too mm -hmm. they wanted to make them feel like it's not a cartoon in a basic term right they wanted you to feel like this is not a child's cartoon you're watching something that's made for you mm -hmm. and so the, the photorealism that kind of like effect on the 3d i think stems from that that not so great idea that like animation is a is a lesser medium so you gotta like doll it up to look more adult in a term sure. uh is what i think the photorealism part comes into like they didn't want it to look too cartoony like this looks more cartoony than yeah. that does but it's better it looks better 
Yeah, I think the the I mean the, he's behind you on the screen on the screen there, and I think his his character model is it, it works as a as a as a. I mean, this is going to be really weird to say because he's not a 2D character, but it feels like you're watching a 2D character almost because he acts and he moves and he interacts with the environment as a 2D character would, as you would come to um, assume one would in a 2D animated film or show. Like he he puts at one point he's he's holding the map and then he puts it in his cape and it just disappears. And that's the and then that's just where it is. You don't expect that from a 3D animated film because everything has everything for so long we try to have everything interact with the with the with its space as normal. Whereas mm-hmm. in a movie like this, it doesn't matter. That's what you would do in a 2D film, so we'll just do it here. It's a cartoon right. after all. Right, yeah. It's it's unafraid, it's unafraid and unashamed to be animated. Yes. Um, and I think that's a striking thing. I think the other thing that lends to that is the the very beginning of the film that says the story is a fairy tale. And this yeah. this very much is a fairy tale. And they're not afraid to be a fairy tale either. They're not afraid to just be earnest and sincere in the emotions of the characters and what they're doing and the story of it. There's not as much of the typical Shrek uh, style joke parody uh, format here. Yeah. To to the film's benefit. I think that was very I think that was more entertaining at the time than it is today. Yeah, I think so too. I I do often think that the um the meta-ness of of the Shrek franchise is probably not at home in today's uh, filmic atmosphere, um which is probably why they struggled in the later Shrek films and why they just decided to kind of be like, you know what, let's not Let's not keep going with that because even with Shrek Four, people were starting to rub against it. Now, admittedly, Shrek Three and Four are not as well written as the first two, but I do think that that was the style of Shrek was just kind of getting old, old hat at that point. Now we'll talk about it, but I do think there's a Shrek Five on the horizon, and I'm very curious about what that's going to look like. Right, or at least a a Shrek film. Yeah, will it be Shrek Five or will it be actually Shrek Three? Who knows? Who knows, right. friend? Are we going to ignore Shrek Three and Four? Hey man, Shrek deserves a Superman treatment. Shrek deserves a, a, a H2O treatment. Yeah, this would be his Superman Returns. Yeah. Yeah. This is only a sequel to Shrek 1 and 2. Don't don't worry about it. I'd 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 be okay with that. I'd be so okay with that. <laughs> I'd be beyond relieved about that. And the thing is, like, so clearly, like, we're Shrek fans. We we both really like the first two Shrek films. I really like Puss in Boots a lot. I don't remember. I think you were a little colder on Shrek on Puss in Boots than I was the first Puss in Boots. Yeah, I mean, like in, in not in a harsh sense. I just thought it was. I thought it was pretty all right. Yeah, uh, and it's been a while since I saw it. Like, there's there's some there are some high highs, but it's an overall like it's a it's a there it's there. It's yeah. not it's not doing a lot with the character of Puss at the center of it. And I think you're. I think this film is leagues better, and you said it to our to our our, our friend co-host of the Picker Podcast as well, uh, Ryan. That um, y- uh, that you think this is better than all of them. Yes, I would. If I were to rank them, I would put this above all the Shreks and and the previous Puss in Boots. Yeah, and I I don't think that's I I think that's that's not just because of the animation, which is stunning. It is because it's so earnest in its approach to the character of Puss in Boots. Um, it's taking a character that came from the Shrek franchise and and really going into him um, of, of what you know, it's, you know, it's a tale about coming to terms with your own morta- mortality and 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 things like that. 
and it does have references to the first Puss in Boots, and there is a, even a, a mention of Shrek that we see in a flashback, like we see we see his mother from the first Puss in Boots give him the boots, and that's all really cool. But you don't need that foundation. The film also stands on its own as just a good fairy tale movie. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Um, I think that there's an amount where this is one of the reasons because we're we're kind of talking around the whole Shrek thing right now. So I'll say like where I think this is better than the first one is because again, I don't think that puss has a real character arc, a real one in mm-hmm. the original film. It's admittedly been a while. So you can tell me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's as it's as core to that film. I think that's a fun film re- regardless of that, but like even Shrek one and two have these emotional arcs for the characters, which makes me think that they actually hold up as films. Whereas both Shrek three and four are pretty vapid in that case. Yeah, And that's why I think this is so good is because this, again, also has a very clear and simple, but, but, but very, very true arc for Puss. And that puts it on the level with Shrek 1 and Shrek 2 to me. This and is a them. this is a, a, a really good example of a simple and predictable story executed incredibly well. Mm hmm. Like, I don't I wouldn't say this film is unpredictable. There's one thing that I didn't guess that we'll get into um but i pretty much knew where every character was going to end at the at the end of this movie but that doesn't matter because the journey that this movie takes you on is so uh is so well executed um it's it's a master class in 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 executing predictable storylines i think sure yeah um i mean it plays it plays with the fact i think it was so smart for them to open the film and say this is a fairy tale not in a sense where it says like this is a lesser story or anything but just saying like please just enjoy this fairy tale yeah like we're not trying to super duper impress you we're not going for like we want to be lauded for our story craftsmanship like uh a inside out or a wally yeah uh you know we we just want to tell you this fairy tale and if you ride with us i think you'll have a good time um and i think that's true uh, the story is is worthwhile. It's very full of heart. It's just also very simple and very clear. Yeah. And I don't think that's a problem. And it, there's so many moments in this movie that I just cried. There's a moment where they just where a character says, like, we, "We saw this. We saw this together recently uh, with our friend Michael and um, your 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 wife. I almost said fiance. Sorry, uh, your wife and her sister. And um, we were." Um, uh, there's a moment where one character goes, "Oh man, I'm cry- I'm beginning to cry," and I just turn to Michael and just go, "Me too." <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, I will say because you were talking about like the predictability of it, I, I think there was a lot that like, there's a fair amount I could have figured from the trailers, but mm-hmm. I want to give credit where credits due. Um, the role I thought that Goldie and the three bears were essentially going to fill for the film or at least Goldie specifically that ended up being played by a character they hid from the trailers, which is Jack Horner. Yes, that's true. Um, that's right. That's right. Jack Horner isn't in the trailers. No, he's a, he's a character reveal in the film. And I was really surprised. And I thought it was a very smart to hide him. Um, yeah. Not because like, Oh, it's a big reveal thing, but like it was, it was an extra layer that like when Jack Horner first shows up at the, in the early part of the film, I think I thought he was going to be there until they stole from him. And that would be the end of it. Yeah. But he's not, he's the, he is the main overarching antagonist for the movie. Uh, yeah. And I did not expect that. 
Yeah, and I think he's a. I think he plays a, a, a good role for 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 the movie. Like we remember, we talked about when we first saw the trailer that you said that you know Goldilocks wants to wants everything to be just right. You know what does mm-hmm. that mean? What 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 does that mean? And Jack Horner ends up being this character who's like, I just want all the magic, and he's evil for evil's sake, which is actually a little refreshing uh, right. to see. Like there's there's really there's no tragic backstory. There's no there's no uh, mo- there's no uh, altruistic motivation that he can see in his in his mind. He is evil, and he knows it. Uh, he's he's privileged power. Yeah, that uh, feels like on some level he wasn't privileged. So like that you're right that there isn't a tragic backstory, but Horner thinks there's a tragic backstory. Right, and there isn't. He's blinded by his own privilege. Right, because so we get a like, sense of I'm simply owed this. Doesn't that make sense? Because he has a he has um um he he has a, a anger of the fact that his he comes from a nursery rhyme and not a fairy tale. Right. Um, because they make the sense of like, well, that fairy tale about the pies, I was just a nursery rhyme. And he's like really angry about that. Right. So he feels like he's owed uh, magic in a sense because he didn't, because he lives in a world of fairy tales where he was just a nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think the execution of Jack Horner is really, really good. Honestly, um, the only qualm I have with the movie also involves Jack Horner, which we, we've talked about before, but what it is is that, I think John Mulaney's doing a great job. I think he's playing, as far as the character is written in the script, pitch perfect. I think he's mm-hmm. great in the role. Um, the character model does not match John Mulaney's voice. Uh, and true. 80, and 80% of the time, it's weird. Um, to me, personally, uh, I think that the I just would have changed the model a bit because John Mulaney's voice doesn't quite look right coming out of the character that they designed. Um, and I would have changed it a bit. This is was- mostly... This is mostly about his size and his stockiness, but it's a little bit about his face. I was, uh, I'll, I'll admit to not a hundred percent seeing what you see in that, but I will admit to in the beginning that we first see him being taken aback that this character model was John Mulaney because yeah. he has a very, he has a very distinct voice and you, you immediately recognize it um, as John Mulaney because he's, I like him as a voice actor, but he's not, he's never put on a, he's never put on a, a different voice to disguise who he is. Um, and, and, and so when he shows up, I was taken aback, but I, I think, I, I think what happened was that I just kind of got used to it more than anything else. Yeah. And I just, I didn't let go of it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get over the fact that I'm like, you knew, it's not like you designed this character and then got John Mulaney's voice. Like, uh, not not like the final version design. You yeah. had John Mulaney's voice and you designed this character around it. And I'm like, I just, I would have made different choices. This doesn't totally work. Yeah. yeah maybe it's trimmed the face a little or something. There's there's just things that could have been done differently because to me that, that, that initial like jarring sensation never quite left of like, John Mulaney's voice just doesn't quite feel like it should be coming out of the mouth of this particular person, even though yeah. I think he's exactly right for the role. That's that's the thing. And so it's all about appearance. It's just the appearance of the character. It just doesn't. It It's rare that this ever happens in animation. Yeah, you, but it you just said, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there, there, there's a to kind of uh, spin what you're saying into just kind of to pick up the pick up the positive plum out of what you were saying because you said mm-hmm. that he is right for the role and his his voice is very good for for this version of Jack Horner. He is very smug. He's very high and mighty. He's very much um, kind of aloof in his own evilness. Um, mm-hmm. And that that is all things that John Mulaney plays really well. 
Yeah. Um, the Serpent Sisters are introduced. What do I want to say with this? His keeping a Jack Horner, his trophy room is, is, is a mishmash of all sorts of things of um, baby unicorn horns and the glass slipper from Cinderella. And probably probably the most Shreky thing about the movie is his collection of fairy tale things, just because that also feels how Shrek would play fast and loose with just like quick references to things. Yeah. Um, Because I think it's purposeful here. But it is like it is very much like everything in the kitchen sink that we can throw here. Yeah, and I think you're. I think you you said you said something really interesting that everything is more purposeful there because almost everything that we see him use from that trophy room, we like almost everything that we see in that trophy room he uses as a weapon later in the movie. Right. There's very little that we don't see just outright used later in the movie, and I think only because the, it was destroyed in the in the. Um, uh, it, when when the bears just crashed through the thing, right? Uh, and I th- I think this film also is able to use going back to like you know maybe the Shrek films, you know you, you know nowadays the Shrek the sensibilities of the Shrek films isn't necessarily needed, but like I think it, this film is able to use what those sensibilities were of the references of the Fast and Loose references of different uh, fairy tales to its strength and, and, and not necessarily just as a joke. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, kind of moving on to, to some other parts of the film. Um, someone who really fits their character model, um, exactly for the voice is, uh, Wagner Mora who plays the wolf death baby. <laughs> baby. Uh, he, he's, his voice is, perfect for exactly what they gave him in visuality uh uh the most striking part of the movie in in sense of style and animation is probably the appearances of the wolf so i could gush all day about just him because like i think he's the best villain that shrek the shrek franchise has ever created and certainly up there in my opinion this is all my opinion um uh, up there with some of the best Kung Fu Panda villains. I, I, I honestly, I'll go a step beyond and I'll say like, he's probably one of the best film iterations of death. Yeah. Um, I think, I think like you can, you can be nitpicky and go about live action versus animation and put down animation and that kind of thing. But the thing is that what they're doing, just like isolating everything down to just how death appears in this movie uh, is so thematically in line at all times it's so thoughtful it's so very much like you could you should and could figure out he's death pretty quickly before puss does um and it's because they're constantly thinking about like what does it mean for him to be the presence of death uh how he affects puss uh how his his whole demeanor works how uh, they're, they're probably one of the most defining scenes is the one where he shows up in the crowd and he picks up the coins and puts them on his eyes and points oh. at puss like the thoughtfulness that went into that uh, to signify that he is in fact death I think is so good and that they utilize everything about what that means to introduce this character chasing down puss in boots right to every level they really think about like what are we doing and how can we make like not just 
small references of of the why we're doing this but like really tie it in to feel like it's right and so having this motivation of him not being a cat person because he thinks the idea of nine lives is absurd um Mm -hmm. and that he it bothers him when people don't appreciate the life they're given uh i think that's super super good just a just a wonderful concept like you can apply you can apply everything that is this character this idea of death to any story about death and all these things would feel accurate as a depiction of death himself. Yeah. There's so many things I want to talk about with him. First off, I just want to say the voice actor's name again, Wagner Mora, Wagner Mora. This is his first voice role and he's, he kills it. He kills it. Um, He is incredible as this character. Um, He, the, the character when he shows up with the whistle is chilling. Um, as you as you start to see him uh, closing in on Puss, um, now the, now this is the only thing I didn't catch in the movie. Um, I pretty much called most of this movie how this movie was going to play out, with the exception of him, because I didn't expect that they would use the Grim Reaper in a Shrek movie. Sure, and and to be fair, like in the trailers, we're just led to believe, oh, it's the big bad, it's the big bad wolf. I have to be honest with you, that was never the assumption I made, but I won't say I immediately jumped to the assumption of death either. Yeah. I think I was more living in the space for a while of he's a bounty hunter. Yeah. Um, that's that's the same assumption that Puss makes is kind of what I was thinking. He's someone who is trying to collect on the reward on Puss. And yeah. he's just good at it. And I just thought that maybe in the Shrek universe, the big bad wolf was a we met the big bad wolf. In the Shrek franchise. That's what I was going to say is we've met the big bad wolf and this is not the big bad wolf. Right. You're right. So like I completely forgot about that. So I just assumed, oh, they made the big bad wolf a a, a, a bounty hunter. That's cool. Whatever. Right. Not, not only is the big bad wolf uh, uh, a far, far more of a homebody than this character. Um, he's already an ally of the Shrek folk. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah. It was not going to be him anyway but so like i don't blame you for that not being in your brain because i haven't seen shrek in years um Um, but seeing this character um when he shows up in the bar uh and he put and he puts his name it's a sign here he's tapping on the dead uh on the dead lettering and like everything that you think about afterwards like when you see the title cards when for when puss is going through his death it's sickles it's uh bordered by sickles and wolf wolf heads Apparently he's there when Puss dies. Uh, he's in the he's in a back alley when Puss dies uh, by the bell. So he mm-hmm. was he so it's to imply that he was actually there every single time that Puss died, right. watching him watching it happen. Um, incredible, incredible character. Right, and he's he's supposed to that. That's the thing I love is that like death is supposed to like you know he's intimidating and scary and he does his job but he's supposed to just kind of be there to collect you yeah and he's breaking his own rules here because he he loathes people like puss um, especially cats but in general who have lived their lives thinking they're immortal and wasting it just wasting it on on selfishness um and i think it was such a smart turn to do for puss as well because nothing in Puss in Boots history in the Shrek films ever broke that idea Mm -hmm. of, of Puss. Like Puss was, Puss is a super cool character, super entertaining, very stylish, very fun to watch. But the, I think the big reason that again, like the, the first film doesn't really stand out to me is because Puss is just as developed there as he is in 
the Shrek films. Yeah. He's not more than that. Um, and this puts more than that behind him. Yeah, because what we're doing here with Puss through death is talking about how his legend, how Puss bought into his own legend, um, like hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, he was this, he became this, this, he was like, oh, I have nine lives. I can do whatever I want. I'm fearless. I'm not going to, I'm never going to die. Um, I'm, I'm the greatest um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he was modeled. The reason why they, they cast Antonio Banderas is because he's modeled after Antonio Banderas Zorro, but he's mm-hmm. that on steroids. Right. Yes. And it's really cool to see Antonio perform this role. Uh, now, and now his fifth time as puss. Yes. Um, I believe. And he, uh, and, and I think he delivers one of the most nuanced voice acting performances as the character because he's he admittedly he's given more to do in this movie, but because of that, Antonio, I think is incredible in this movie. No, I agree with you. I think, I think he's really great in this movie. I'm really glad he has this because whether or not there are, there is more DreamWorks stuff to be done in the Shrek verse and he'll be back. Um, I can still treat this in my mind as kind of a send off of the character. And I think it was a, a very good one Um, because my opinion aside about how we should uh, revere Antonio Banderas' Zorro in our pop culture, um, it's not something where we're ever going to probably see him get the proper send-off of that character. Um, yeah. Because, unfortunately, it had one sequel and it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, yeah. And so, because of that, it doesn't have the, the lasting power I think that it deserves as a role for Antonio Banderas, um, because he deserves he deserved a greater legacy attached to that character. Um, I agree for for what he was doing with it, and he should have gotten a uh, a last hurrah um, as that character that was like really great. But the fact that he can get it for Puss in Boots, I think, is wonderful. It's not too late. It's not too late, but it is unlikely. I know. I'd love to see him return for another Zorro movie and basically do the Mask of Zorro, but the roles reversed. Now he's the old man Zorro. See here, th- I will say like here's the thing about that. I don't want them to just do the Mask of Zorro again though for him. Yeah. I I wish he I wish that wasn't where we were that that's kind of all that's left it would have to be I wish we had gotten an actual full Zoro last venture of his yeah. that is his uh, and that that is it is too late that's not going to happen you're right yeah. that if they did another it's him passing the baton again I uh, yeah I agree like you know we're both fans of Zoro specifically and uh, the Mask of Zoro is an incredible movie that we're both huge fans of um, and and it's a bummer that we. I just only got the legend of Zorro after that. <laughs> it just yeah. sucks that that's, that that was it. For sure. Anyway, um, we're talking about Puss in Boots. We are. And I'm very glad that Antonio Banderas has it because I think he deserves it. I think this character is for better or worse, more uh, re- present for him in the pop culture uh, mindset. So for him to get yeah. to have this really solid outing with the character where he gets to fully put a lot of heart into him matters a lot. Um, and there's so much there's so much nuance to just his voice performance alone um you, you know there there's an incredible scene that a lot of people are highlighting and actually it's it's actually thanks to i don't like throwing things that i haven't seen under the bus but it's actually thanks to velma that a lot of people have been highlighting the scene as the one where he's having the panic attack hey you know what uh i since you brought it up like i'm this is an animation station so uh uh velma i'm grateful for it for just the fact that like 
so many people dislike it so much that they're highlighting the good of other things, whether that be be cool Scooby Doo or um, the scene that's in this, uh, which I wish I I kind of wish I didn't know about before the movie, but I did because of that discourse. Yeah. Um. Uh. But they're right. They're right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like and and that scene is so that scene is really good because a lot of it's a really good it's a really good lead up there's a really good lead up to it because you know, there's puss who's very, who's very closed off. Who, who's very much like, this isn't happening. I'm fine. This is whatever. Uh, he hasn't, he hasn't told anyone what's going on. And there's Perito, um, Perito, Perito, Perito. I don't want to say it with the accent in case I'm racist. Um, but he, he, um, <laughs> but he, he, his therapy dogness has been treated as kind of a joke because you know, he shows his belly. You want to rub my belly and his, you know, the, 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 the jiggly sound effect happens, but it, that's, but that allows that scene to play so sincerely because he puts, he puts his hand, he puts his head on, on, on Puss's, on Puss's stomach and calms him down. And it's yeah, such so- a sweet, quiet moment we haven't given any context for anyone who doesn't know what we're alluding to. So what we're talking about is the fact that there was a panic attack on Velma, uh, that was done poorly. Um, and then they're, they are comparing it to the panic attack that puss has in this film, um, when he's afraid he's going to die and, uh, and how Perito's, uh, character having his, desire to be a therapy dog actually be more than just uh you know again really utilizing what they've decided to give bring to the table like in every aspect it's not just something where it's a throwaway idea um it's something where he can execute this moment and i don't think like they just said oh he wants to be a therapy dog so this moment could work but like the the two interweaved into each other naturally um yeah. and it makes a lot of sense and it works really well and it's very thoughtful and it's very touching um to me arguably the most touching moment of the movie. Um, yeah, I would agree. And I really, really like it. I think it's really great. Um, it's the part that emotionally got me. Um, what I think is so wonderful about Perito is that he's this absolute spirit of innocence and optimism, mm-hmm. which could have landed flat. And I was nervous he was going to be the the kind of cute throwaway character from the trailers yeah uh he's not though he's the he's the thing that is like it works so well in the context that both puss and kitty softpaws are characters who don't believe that people can just care about other people to care about other people now your mileage may vary on how acceptable that really is when you consider puss post the shrek films Sure. Um, because I kind of question that. I think even this film makes me question it because there's that moment early on where they they talk about is there somewhere you could go uh, when he knows he's on his last life and he you know someone who would support you and yes, <laughs> but we won't <laughs> talk about it. I guess it's another reason why to me I think this would make more sense as just following up Trek Two if the implication was he had that that one adventure had some good times and then moved on rather than stuck around for Shrek three and four where he basically like lives with them for a while because Shrek has kids and puss is still around. Mm-hmm. So like that's that, that rubs kind of against this concept. Well, just kind of going off of that. It was really interesting about that theory. I'm happy to have that theory because, you know, screw Shrek three and four, but like, um, I, I, and puss in the first puss in boots is a prequel. So whatever. But like the idea that puss 
goes through his memories um, when he's thinking about his life. Uh, and he's and he goes through everything, and it, we see Kitty's hot pods, we see his mother, we see Shrek and Donkey, and um, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Hakuna Matata moment. Um, and the 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 interesting thing about that is that it, it almost implies that it's been so long that that has happened that he has forgotten that he has other friends. And and because and and so like I would buy that yeah he had Shrek he just did Shrek two he had some fun adventures with Shrek and Donkey and then he went off back to back to wherever this place was um, and have more adventures and it's been so long the gap has been so long that he's that he has forgotten to cherish those memories which is why at the end of the film he decides to go back to far far away to see to to look up his old friends essentially yeah um, I agree I agree exactly with what you're saying um, there because it just uh, I don't want this movie to feel beholden to the entire mythology of Shrek. So I'm glad that they, <laughs> they kind of skirted the line of needing to do that. But it is one of those things where I'm like, Shrek 3 and 4 are weaker films. And so I support just not really trying to interweave them into this because it makes more sense for a Puss in Boots, a Puss in Boots who we saw in the in Shrek 2, a Puss in Boots who we saw, saw in his prequel film to be this like very, I do things alone, selfish person. Yeah, It becomes less... Um, believable if I try to really actually think about Shrek 4, uh, where Shrek and Donkey both have had children and uh, there's they've been around, so it's been years, and Puss is still around with them. I'm like, why would Puss leave that at that point? Right. Um, and why would it mean so little to him in his own reflection about it? So like, uh, or he wouldn't think of it when he's on his last life kind of thing. It, it, I think it becomes a little tenuous of like, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because we're here at this point, I'll also bring up that another reason why I think getting on my bandwagon for like, let's retcon out Shrek three and four. Um, I'm pretty sure. And it's been since it was in theaters, but I'm pretty sure Shrek and Fiona moved back to the swamp. So they wouldn't be in far, far away because Arthur is in far, far away. That's right. So I think we're just totally abandoning those two films. Maybe I'd be into that. Hey, I, again, it's been so long since the last Shrek entry that, like, you know, you could, you could just be like, you know what, just Shrek Two exists. Don't worry about it. The Dronkies are now older. Shrek and Fiona don't have eight kids because that's the joke. Um, you can do whatever you want. Happy yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, and if you don't want to do another Shrek film, although I'm pretty sure that the end of this movie implies that they are. It feels it feels that way. Um, I mean, there's been they, there's been threats that there would be another Shrek for a while, yeah. so uh, I think and, it's an inevitability. And then this has been received as well as it has, so I, I'm sure. <laughs> and you know what? I'm I'm happy. I I really like the scene when they're like, we're gonna go see some old friends, and the Shrek theme is playing. I was like, oh, that's getting me. That's really yeah, sweet. That was, I'm really into this. It was sweet, and it, in a way where I was like, you know, even if you didn't, I'm kind of happy to live with this reality. Yeah, that this is what happens. Um, but it, it's probable that we're getting another Shrek film. Anyway, my point being, going back to Perito, uh, why why he works so well is in this version of Puss who is, who has been so singular minded and uh, out for himself up to this point, and confronting both him and Kitty with this character who genuinely loves people to love people. Mm-hmm. Um. And the fact that it's a dog, just very smart. Again, like tying in what you're working with these animals, like it's more than just the fact that they they are 
animals because of animation. They are animals and that means something. Dogs love deeply and unconditionally. Introducing a dog character for Puss that loves him deeply and unconditionally really works for the story that they're telling. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, because I said that I want to highlight Selma Hayek's Kitty Softpaws because I think she was done also a disservice in the original because I think she's kind of there to just be the sexy female uh, rival, uh, but also um, love interest of Puss and not really anything more. Well, like, Kitty... So in in the first in the first film, I I do really enjoy Kitty Softpaws in the first film because I like the idea that you know she was a she was a cat that was declawed. Um, she's working for Humpty Dumpty, and um, uh, Humpty is um, manipulating Puss through Kitty. Um, mm-hmm. And so so like I I do like the character in that one, but I do think you're right that because she is mostly used by Humpty to manipulate puss and puss is um kind of projecting love onto her she doesn't really have a lot of agency as a character outside of she was declawed and she does get she does get towards the she does get towards the end where she starts to um you know she starts to turn she's like you know she starts to care for puss it's very classic kind of like uh that 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 kind of like tropey turn but it, it it's still not a whole lot to work with and so you're right in this film She's given much more. And well, and you're and you're you're right about saying like it's that classic tropey turn, which is also super misogynistic. Um, because <laughs> sure. that, which was my point is that like everything about and I'm not saying like oh everything about Kitty in this movie doesn't revolve around uh, Puss to some extent because it does. Um, but it there's a lot more of her own wants inside of it than there were in the previous one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's that's what I really appreciate about it is I feel like there's a lot more of her own character to this rather than like a a very classic trope of this type of female character. Do you think Shrek was at the wedding? Do I think Shrek was at the wedding of these two? Yeah. The one that didn't oh, you happen. Mean like, oh, you mean? No, I don't think so. Well, I was thinking, what if that's the last time that he saw all of his friends? I, I'm suspecting that there was only the church and the the person, and then there would be them too. I don't think they invited anybody. Well, he because says, he says the context, of, huh? He says he says guests. There were guests. Mm. I don't know. I don't know who yeah. would be there. I don't think it would be the Sh- the Shrek gang though. The Shreks. Yeah. Mr. Mrs. Shrek's uh just the local cats <laughs> the the ooh. well cuz like it, it, they are they are defined at least for this the 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 context of this film right they are defined as singular entities yeah. they don't see either of themselves as having deep attachments because they both held themselves away from it yeah whether that's from like fear or distrust that's what they've done um so again like those later Shrek films might muddy those waters a bit but like that is for better or worse how we have to kind of look at puss and kitty for this film as people who don't really see a lot of other people as important to them or at least as them important to those people uh, so so actually one of the things that i really like about this film is is that it is the wedding do you have anything more you want to say real quickly because i do want to talk about the flashback wedding no please go ahead so the 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 wedding is really interesting because 
at the end of here, you could just watch Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. You could, but if you do just watch Puss in Boots and Puss in Boots: The Last Wish as like a double feature, it's really interesting to see these two cut get closer together and become like a partners almost, and then the wedding be the inciting incident that destroys that destroys their trust once again because these are two these are two people who don't trust easily and they thought they found that that trust that love and then had puss leaving her at the altar and then we find out that she left that she also didn't show up right um it is really interesting to me to see that like is is a really interesting plot device to put these characters in a in such a distrustful place of other people like well i couldn't trust the person i love the most well, i can't trust anybody then mm-hmm. you know that's what that's where kitty is coming from kitty is coming from a place where like i thought i had someone i could trust but then you betrayed me right i like i i thought that the wedding was a a very a very sweet heart-wrenching moment that served a really cool purpose for the story they were telling. I think even sharper and more poignant is the, is her condemnation of him. She's like, I wasn't going to show up for the, for that guy, the guy who only loved himself. I wasn't going to show up for that guy. Yeah. And, and I really do like the idea. I think that, you know, the way they take it practically, literally that puss is a different version of his own self Mm -hmm. uh, in this new life. Um, because he is changing and that he looks back on his past lives and he's like, mm, these guys, I see the problem here. Um, yeah. I think it's what really works about, you know, when they tie it all together for the, for the third act, the confront, the con- confrontation with death and like what I suspected was going to be the resolution. But I mean, I think it's a good one, which is where like the whole point is death is coming from because he doesn't appreciate the life, mm-hmm. but if he cares about it, then he he's earned the right to fight for it. Then he can have it. Yeah, because death. What supposed to? What death wants to do is 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 end this arrogant little shit, right? right? He's like, yeah, I'll fight you. You're always going to lose, though, because like he says, because he says, like uh, people have tried, people have never succeeded, Um, because you can't beat death. At the end of the day, death comes for us all. Um, And and puss being here at the end when puss is finally confronted with death once more and he picks up his sword he's not picking up his sword as the arrogant feline that death came for and when death recognizes that he says well shit you're ruining this for me (laughs) you're ruining this for me he's like i'll see you again because death knows like i'm coming for you no matter what at the end of the when you're when you're done when you're on this is your last life and that's it i'm coming well, pointedly, both both Death and Kitty say the same thing, which is, I don't see that guy anymore. Yeah. I don't see the guy who was only there for himself and only loved himself. Yeah. That person's not standing before me anymore. Um, and that's the whole thing. I, I really like I really like the way Puss says, uh, I really like the way Antonio, Antonio Banderas delivers the line, I will never stop fighting for this life. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing that's driving him, is like, this is the one I'm here for. This is the one I care about. Yeah. And you see, because we see there's a there's a, a great kind of hall of mirrors scene where he's confronted with his past lives. Very Doctor Who, which I which I enjoyed. Um, and he's and he sees all his past lives at the moments of their death. Um, and they're they're like, yeah, just be us again. Just do it again, man. And and when he is confronted with them, 
that when whenever he whenever he when he's confronted with with them, death appears and says like you know and and gives the whole monologue and like so and starts breaking the glass. But what I, I mean that that scene is just is 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 really interesting to watch as like a, you know, we're trying to get Puss back. Like these these previous lives, they know that he's on a path to he he know they know that the path he's on, but they don't want him to go down that path because that's the point of this Hall of Mirrors. It's supposed to entice you back to where to where you were. Mm-mm. It's a well, it's a challenge, right? Right. Um, I just really like that scene. It's just, and 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 I'll just just gush about gush about death some more anyway. But yeah, um. Yeah, I think that they're very thoughtful about how all these characters work together. We haven't really touched much on Goldie and the Three Bears. Um, I really like all of them. I like the performers. Um, having Olivia Coleman and Florence Pugh there is is awesome. Ray Winstone. And, Ray uh, Winstone. Um, <clears throat> what's his oh, name? Oh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Goldie. Samson Goldie Ko. Brown. That's the last one. Sorry. Samson Ko is the voice of the baby. Thank you. I want to I want to talk a little bit about Goldie's animation, um, which I really like because how she... So the anime, the animation in this one is not just not just a, has a two D sensibility, but oftentimes has an anime sensibility, um, and and the the frame rate drops whenever they're doing action sequences, which I really, which I think creates some really dynamic sequences. Um, and when we when my Goldie, wife it. really mm-hmm. the drop in frame rate, she thought it was lazy. Oh really? I thought it was very very uh, fun. Yeah, she she thought it was lazy. What do you think of it? Oh, I like it. it was like we're yeah. not the same. <laughs> she has her opinions. <laughs> She's entitled to them. She is entitled to them. How does she like the movie overall? Um, it, it for personal reasons, it was probably sure. not the best time to see this movie. Sure. I hope she can watch it another time and hopefully enjoy it some more. We'll see. Um, someday, someday in the future. Um, but anyway. Um, one of the things that that I really like about Goldie is how she moves, how her animate, how her animation moves, um, especially with her staff. I was very the second time watching it, I was very uh, enamored with two things. Everybody's eyes, I think, are gorgeously animated, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Goldie's staff moves in such a fun way. She moves her staff in such a fun way, where she's kind of always twirling it, always kind of moving with it. Um, I, I I just thought that the animation there was stunning. I'm going to say something that's going to make you sad. Okay. Um, it's a shame they're probably never making a sequel to The Rise of the Guardians because this animation style with those characters would look really good. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Why'd you do that? I'm sorry. It's because when I when I looked at it, I'm like, you know, I I would really love the rise of the guardians probably if they all looked as good as like goldie does in this yeah i really like rise of the guardians i was actually just watching last night uh kung fu panda 2 um and we talked a little bit about off air about how the kung fu panda films have been kind of begging for this style of animation and kung fu panda 2 has many sequences that are just 2d animated um the many of the flashbacks and dream sequences are 2d and they're beautiful um and i i think that like this animation is going to look so going to look so so good the more they the more they use it but going back to older dreamworks films films that sh- that that feel like now they should have had this animation it's going to be tough because you're going to be thinking about that um and the animation is still stunning for these films i again i really like rise of the guardians but like 
it's gonna be it's gonna it's kind of a bummer that you kind of look at these going like man if only this was animated in such a in, in as as unique way as Puss and Boots and thank goodness Kung Fu Panda Four is coming because we might get that right and notably it's not just like the character models but it's also you can see it in the art behind Brandon or the art behind me um, it's it's the background stuff too it's so colorful yeah. it's so alive very painterly it's so striking. Um, there's there's a scene there's many background scenes when you first get into the dark forest um you see the the background like the clouds and whatnot they have like streaks like painter streaks mm -hmm. and it's just the fact that the, that you were able to do that and were, weren't concerned with the fact that it's going to look like um it's gonna it's not gonna look like a real cloud like who cares it's a right. it's a cartoon right right the, not that, that's what not this looks very pretty what's behind me and it's not just puss's model although that looks incredible but you can even see it in like um it's on both of ours but on puss's hat like the way the the smears are on the hat and everything yeah it's and it's so cool it's it just looks so it's just so thoughtfully animated it, it's it's kind of a bummer to say it's a cartoon because like that feels like i'm being derogatory almost but like the like cartoon the cartoon medium the animation medium this is a great, there are two examples of what the animation medium can do that happened this at the end of the year. Pinocchio, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Both those films prove that animation should be taken far more seriously. Um, and I think that we're in a place where it's such an interesting place in animation with this new animation style specifically seeping its way into other studios finding its way into different animated movies um, that I, I, I'm so excited to see, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that again, an example I want to cover of, of using what's given to you so well um, is they introduce the concept of the Spanish splinter uh, <laughs> when they're fighting the giant in the beginning, which is an incredible opening and an incredible action sequence. And a lot of people have said this. It's all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, but it's true. Um, and then to have that be part of how they defeat Jack Horner. Uh, not only is it a good callback to the opening of the film, but it's genius for the fact that like what Jack Horner is known for is putting his thumbs in pies. And the <laughs> fact that you specifically went for his thumbs. I'm like, this is so smart. This is so thoughtful to who this character is and what you're pointing at. Like it's, it's not like, Oh, that was the source of his power or anything, but it was like, this is a cute, like thinking about what's relevant to this character, putting early in the movie, this use of going into a giant thumb and then using it again with Jack Horner is so smart. I think there's a lot of things that are smart in this, in this movie. And one of the, and one of the things that I want to highlight is the um, script. Um, it's very trim the fat. There's not a lot of fat in this script. Yeah, and I want—I do want to talk about the humor in a minute, but I want to talk about the scripts most specifically as as it's structured, because it almost looks like the quest is to get to the dark forest, but they get to the dark forest at the end of the at the end of the first act, mm -hmm. and then they go, and then the dark forest is the second and third act, um, and I think that's that was really smart because you spend more time in the dark forest and not just a singular path because they introduce a mechanic that they use very smartly, very yes. uh, in interestingly of the map changes the landscape of the dark forest, depending on who's touching it. Yeah. Uh, I think that was also very, very wise. Um, I did question. I'm like, why are Goldie and the three bears not also separate entities? 
but mm-hmm. I get it. Like, you know, you weren't going to show the different three bears maps. So you just put them all as one bubble. But I'm like, technically, the map should also recognize them as individuals. But OK, right. <laughs> We're just going to cut some time again. Trim the fat. Um, it, it's also another notable thing. Uh, if you're tr- if you're a person still trying to catch on if death is. Death or not, um, he's not see in, the death in the dark forest for a bit before uh, he confronts puss. Uh, in the mirrors and we see the map again and death is not on the map yeah i noticed that the second time uh, i watched it i was like oh shit yeah uh, because he wouldn't register because he technically he, he can he, he's not like he he doesn't enter the dark forest the same way he being this he's kind there of, but he's, he's not there yeah kind of being this ethereal being and so it makes you think that like anytime because there's this great moment where like puss is having this panic attack where he's like running and like the scenery makes the wolf in various in various ways like the tree branches make his face or the rock formation make his body um such an interesting use of, of that and you're you're questioning like every time is he actually there because once you find out once you clock on he's death at any point in the movie you're like oh he could be he could literally show up anywhere right that's why he walks through the star everyone mm-hmm. else has died walking through that that um that that uh ethereal whatever the hell coming out of the star except for him it's also already floating up into the sky at that point. Yeah. And he's just, and, and he just walks on because he's death and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a cool moment. I, I want to talk about the humor in this movie. Sure. Cause I think this movie is very funny. Yeah. Um, the humor in the Shrek franchise is kind of, has always kind of been hit or miss, even, even in the good ones. I think Shrek two is a very funny movie. Um, but, but this one I think has a lot of really good funny moments and a lot of what I think were, were surprising funny moments that you just don't see coming. Like when Perito uh, says a curse word and they bleep it out mm-hmm. and everybody in the theater does a double take. Like what the, what the hell was that? Yeah. Um, very funny. Um, the, the um, tulips when they eat the, the baker and he just leaves a skeleton. Posies. The, po- the posies. The, the pocket full of posies. Yeah. I just got to say like this movie has the, probably the biggest body count of any Shrek film. Right. This movie yeah, has a body um, count. Yeah, it does. There's a lot I'd have of to watch to see if I really agree with that, but probably. Um, how much? How many people have died in the Shrek films, though? A fair amount. Yeah, that's true. Besides the, the dragon kills the dragon kills a few people in the first one. Off screen. No, it kills knights and eats Farquaad. <laughs> Uh, well, like, yeah, Farquaad died. Okay, anyway, but anyway, <laughs> it's it's really cool to see that like there's a skeleton in this movie. And then when like the, when Jack Horner is shooting the um the 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 unicorn unicorn uh, horns, and they just pop into confetti. Yeah. yeah, this movie is brutal without being brutal. Right. Yeah. Very very funny brutal violence, cartoonish violence, um, and it works and it works completely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like it. Uh, I I think it's it's very well done and, and well crafted in its humor. I think um, Joel Crawford, who's the director, directs a fine animated film. Um, his only, do you know his other credits? I looked it up, but I wasn't. I the Crudes, a new age. It's the Trolls Holiday Special and Crudes, a new age, and those are are his only other director credits. I think um, this is better than when Crudes, a new age. I think it is too, but I still think like there, there's a lot of like, if you look at this and you look at Crude's New Age, there's a lot of that same kind of like quick, good humor shots that are done. Um, I'm thinking of like, especially like when they, when they turn into the, the women 
hair metal mm. Valkyrie scream band. Uh, like that's that shit's pretty much in line with the same kind of humor that we have going on here. Um, now Joel Crawford didn't write this, but I do think like Joel Crawford directs a sharp animated film. Um, a lot of credit for you know the whole team coming together to make these these very stylized, beautiful um, action pieces. Again, like people are highlighting the fight with the giant at the beginning because it's it, it is an exceptional animated opening. It just is. Um, it's helped a lot by the uh, the score uh, by Hector uh, Hector Patera, um, which is a great score. What else has he done? That's a good question. I want to see who did the score for Puss in Boots, the first one. Chris Miller was the director of Puss in Boots. That's interesting. Sorry, Hector Pereira. Pereira. I thought, I thought so. Henry Jackman was the was the was the composer for the first Puss in Boots. He, yeah, I like so music. so this is I think I've seen a lot of the movies here on this list, and I think this is probably one of Hector Pereira's bests mm-hmm. because I always I'm, I've been thinking about the in the opening song of the fearless hero yeah that's a good song and i've been thinking about that a lot but i think about the the part where puss is charging on the giant and we're hearing the chorus inside of it uh as he's doing it and i'm like this is so good um he's done uh despicable me minions both movies um he's done the entire despicable me franchise as a composer um spy kids the smurfs angry birds um please stand by a handful of live action films are here but a lot of animated ones well i think this is a very good score i i think this is one of those cases where we're looking at uh a few creatives a few artists a lot of artists frankly um coming together and delivering what is probably their best work to date um I won't say it will be their 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 best work forever, um, but I think there's a lot of people who have done some things that maybe um, that I, I personally don't 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 like as much. Um, who came together and delivered, frankly, magic. Um, this is a this is a film that everyone involved should be proud of. Um, yeah, this is a film that's firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree entirely with that. I think this is a really really solid film. Um, there's a few Shrek cameos in this movie, and I think they they chose the right ones, Gingy and Pinocchio. Yes, I think those are sharply included. Yeah, Gingy being one of his deaths, and Pinocchio <laughs> being Jack Horner's origin story. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think those work. Those connected to the Shrek franchise, because like if Shrek was in this film, I don't know if I could. I don't know if Mike Myers coming out would have been good. Shrek is in this film. Shrek is in this film, but only in flashback. Uh, and the intro. The intro doesn't count as in the movie. Mm, doesn't it, though? <laughs> yeah, I like the new DreamWorks intro, honestly. I like it, too. I think there was nothing like, even before I saw this movie, um, that when that intro came, when they announced that intro and, and released it and everything, and I saw it, I was like, yeah, they're definitely bringing Shrek back. Like, they didn't <laughs> put Shrek in that intro to, to not say we're bringing Shrek back. Yeah, yeah this is their most famous property. It makes sense. As there, it, it's in the right spot of the intro because it's their first, you know, it was yeah. their launch. It was their launch point. Yeah, I mean, and they have uh, Toothless and uh, Poe and 
boss sure. baby. Um, but Toothless, Toothless doesn't feel that, that like Toothless is there because they're going to make more How to Train Your Dragon films. Toothless feels like Toothless is there because they're like, we know this was one like everybody like talks about and thinks about. And we're threatening with another one. Uh, we're not going to see Megamind in there. No, that's true. Although we're getting that show, which is exciting. Truthfully, I think the bad guys are there because the bad guys are are supposed to herald like the, the new era with the new animation style and everything. And that's why we open with them, because I wouldn't say that's necessarily going to be one of their most like long running iconic films. But I understand why they wanted to put it there in the intro. Yeah, I'd like to see a second one to that movie. Have you seen it yet? Nope. I, I think I hope you like it. I hope you like it. Um, we're talking a little bit about um, um, Puss in Boots. It feels it feels very much like similar thematically what what Puss is doing uh, to a lot of people have actually compared this one to Logan, which I I don't disagree with, but I actually think Top Gun Maverick is a good comparison thematically. Um, kind of this aging hero dealing with his own mortality and 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 learning to uh, to come to terms with the fact that he is older. He is getting older. I don't think it's a complete one to one, but I I do see the similarities and I, I appreciate them. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a Logan, a Top Gun Maverick, a Cars three, a Cars three, if you will. I don't know. I don't know if I fully agree with all the Top Gun Maverickness of it, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but I think I think I think you were right to name those three aspects because I I think that there's a lot to a lot of thematic similarities in all three of those films and this one and this one included. Um, yeah. While they're not while they're not entirely comparable, like you know, no one would say that Cars three and Logan are 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 incredibly similar movies but there's a similar thematic presence that goes through the two of them except everybody everybody when the cars 3 trailer came out was like oh this is the logan of cars <laughs> this is the logan of cars right and like indiana jones and the dial of destiny i assume will probably deal with similar with similar thematic um uh, I thematic hope resonance to some extent to be honest with yeah. you this is now we're really tangenting but um you know we kind of we did a little too much of the i'm old now uh as as like actual text in crystal skull i'm like i kind of hope the point isn't just he's old now well i'm thinking that we're probably going to deal with it a little bit more dramatically than kingdom of the crystal skull because crystal skull was very much like i'm old and that's the humor i think i think that you can tell a story that's more about we'll see with dial destiny but i think it's going to be more about um him him being like I'm I'm retired, uh, but I only I can do this one thing. I gotta help. Here we go. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not so much going to be about, uh, but I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I hope because there was just maybe maybe three too many of those in Crystal Skull. Crystal Damn, Skull has I a, that was closer. Crystal Skull has a lot of problems. Um, hopefully, Dial of Destiny has none of them. But let's get back to Puss and Boots and the Dial of Destiny. Shit. Um, uh, I really like um, the Baker's dozen who are more than a dozen, but just constantly getting murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how mistreated they are. Oh, we didn't even touch on the Jimmy Stewart, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. This triumphant uh, moment at the end is so good. Well, well there's got to be like a, a good part inside of you somewhere. <laughs> oh, I really have my work cut out for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're horrible. <laughs> he's just like you're horrible you're a I'm monster it's my resignation <laughs> like, just, very funny um an immaculate jimmy stewart impression yeah um very, uh, very wonderful wonderful decision to do to do jimmy stewart J- uh, jimmy cricket as jimmy stewart 
yeah, it really, it really worked. It was very, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a great time with that. Wow, I'm your conscience. Yeah. Um, the Mary Poppins bag is interesting because Mary Poppins isn't technically a fairy tale. Sure, but I mean, also neither is Jack Horner, so you know it works. I know, but it's very. It was very funny that this is like, no, it's Mary Poppins bag because it's yeah. designed exactly to be it. Uh, the, the, it's it's a nanny's bag. Uh, they have the umbrella inside of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it works because, like, I think the greater context of Shrek, Shrekiverse isn't necessarily mm-hmm. like fairy tales, but children's stories. And Mary yeah. Poppins is a children's story. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, this this movie is really great. Um, I I I. I cannot say say much more than that, frankly. Like, I think the I music. Really is, I think the music is top notch and well done. Um, especially his own song. Yeah. Um, I think the flair is there. The character models look great. The animation's incredible. The action's really good. The heart of the story is really good the the voice acting is 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 some of the best we've seen from the shrek franchise and the imagination of the dark forest in general like everything around the star how colorful the star is and everything about it and how it affects the forest and how vibrant those environments are is so yeah. good it's just so worth watching just because it's visually stunning and i think um, that the the path to the star uh being like the path that you need to take to learn that you don't need a wish very clever right yeah, I, I agree. Like that. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that was very smart. It's 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 a good, it's a good, well thought out fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, because like, what's a wish gonna do for you that you don't already have? Like at the end, you know, uh, because Perito is is the thesis of the movie. Like he's got everything he needs. He what's he gonna wish for? Right. Um, Puss is so demanding of of more lives. Any more lives, so I can be the legend that I can be. It's like no, you can be the legend without the lives you can still be puss in boots uh mm-hmm. kitty always wanting some wanting someone to trust uh finding that in puss finally and goldie obviously finding her family and making me just tear but man when goldie saves baby from the death uh that gets me man every time yeah. i will say i i will say that i did find like with Goldie's support of the family, even at the early on in the film, like how they support her and how she interacts with them. I was like, do you really need people family? Like, is this, yeah. is this really what will fill your heart? And I'm like, sure. Fairy tale. Let's fill that. Let's fill that lesson. But like, I kind of expected the wish to be more, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. When they were first introduced, I thought like something had happened to, to the bears or something. Mm-hmm. And she was going to wish to save them. But I, I didn't know what that was, and I never really formed a complete thought on it until it was revealed what Goldie's real wish would be. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's predictable. Like, I, I knew that Goldie was going to wish, was you know, she, her wish was going to be that she wants a real family, and then she's going to learn that she has a real family. Um, But it worked for me. I liked it. Yeah. I, I liked this movie a whole lot. Should we rate it? Sure. What would you rate it? It's a 10. It's a 10 for me as well. Like for what, for what this film is capable of. It's, it's a 10. Yeah. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Definitely. 
this is my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> I want to see it again so bad. It's a good movie, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll come back together and review my other favorite movie of the year, Glass Onion. We'll finally review that one. Yeah. We never got uh, any Yeah, Puss, Puss in Boots, uh, The Last Wish, I think bad guys was was showing that the animation was changing at dreamworks but i think this is the sea change for them and i think it might be a uh maybe the beginning i won't say it is but maybe the beginning of a watershed moment for a lot of the major animation studios to be like oh we need to we need to think about what we're doing a little more here i think so you know, not to get too much into it because I think we want to do it as its own animation station episode, but the idea that other play that there are animation studios that are doing this kind of hybrid animation to such a, to such great extremes. Sony uh, was the first now DreamWorks. Um, it's weird to say that Sony started this uh, Sony animation, but like that then DreamWorks and now, uh, and if this keeps going, you know, Disney could be left behind. Um, even though they were really the first people to to kind of like get up to this animation and then give up with the Paperman uh, and Fee shorts. But what I think is so interesting is the DreamWorks is in a really interesting place right now where they could be approaching a new renaissance. And now I, I did look ahead to what DreamWorks is putting out this year. This year, they're only putting out a new Trolls movie. I'm not sure I'm into that. I might check it out because I've seen the first two. Um, and my, my, my fiance, she loves the trolls movie. So probably we'll check it out anyway. But ne the next year, 2024 is the new Kung Fu Panda movie. And then two other DreamWorks films. And I'm very interested to know what those films are, because I think we could be, I think that's where we'll probably see the fruits of this labor, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, the fruits of the Puss of what Puss in Boots has delivered to DreamWorks and bad guys will be seen in 2024. Maybe. Yeah. And of course we have Spider-Verse this year, which I think is so exciting. I I importantly I think more and more in this animation space of of changing what 3D can be and what these 3D animated films look like and, and incorporating more 2D to it is going to be a trend we're going to see more and more because it's been proven successful because of things like Spider-Verse and Pixar or sorry, not Pixar, uh, Arcane. Arcane, Mitchell's versus the Machine, Bad Guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great time to be in animation. It's such an interesting, such an interesting point in animation history to look at. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very optimistic about the future, just animation on a whole, as a whole. I think we can, I think we're going to see some really interesting stuff come out of the pipeline soon. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, we'll talk about more about that on a future animation station episode, which is exciting. Sure, sure. All right, that'll do it. Um, we are, as always part of the fake nerd podcast. There's a ton of other stuff here. Um, you can go check out our regular episode discussions. We just hyped up the year over on our main feed. Um, and we're getting excited about all the stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, we're very soon. We'll be talking about the scream franchise in anticipation of scream six. Uh, we don't know what we're doing in this immediate week, but that's stuff to look out for over on fake nerds. Watch. We're doing the last of us and soon a willow discussion is going to come out. So check out those things um basement arcade and uh fake nerd book club are all ramping up for releases later this year so catch up on anything that you want to catch up on those and pause menu just dropped its god of war ragnarok review um stemming out of our original channel so uh just go check out all the stuff
and um we're around contact us let us know if there's something you want us to talk about on animation station we'll try (laughs) (laughs) uh but you know we're just i think we're just happy to be trying to do as much as we're going to do so we'll see uh where can they find you brandon I am at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. I also write for AtomicKingdom.com, write and edit for KaijuRamaMedia.com and CBR.com. You can find me at SparksWitty on Instagram and Twitter, S-P-R-K-Z-Witty. I write for nobody and for nothing. So uh, you can't check any of that out. Sorry. (laughs) All right. I think that'll do it for today. So uh, until next time, we are now departing.